testify. Let's give her a hand, guys. Jesus is the king, right? Okay. I thank God for this morning. I welcome you this morning. Thank you for being in Metro Praise this morning. Um, well, there is a lot, to, a lot of things to testify, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus in faith. And uh, yesterday we were on the Logan Square preaching the, uh, the gospel, the, bringing the, uh, to the people the good news about Jesus Christ. And um, there was a lady, her name was uh, Niurka. She is from Cuba, and she didn't hear about God and either about Jesus Christ. But thank God that he sent me to that area because I met her and uh, was very interesting to preach her because she didn't know anything. She didn't know nothing about God, about Jesus Christ. But uh, we started talking about faith because she said like uh, she was teaching, uh, she was uh, taught in Cuba about uh, Marcins. And everything that she knew, like uh, she only needs to believe in things that she can see. No, uh, uh, no thing that she doesn't see, but I said that it's about faith. And uh, thank God she ending accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Amen. And um, and I praise God for that because uh, because she said, how am I going to believe? And I said, it's by, it's by faith. And she, um, she, she ending accepting Jesus Christ. And... Um, I really very grateful with God because without faith, I'm gonna read this scripture because um, it says like in Hebrews 11, 6 says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And she got a challenge. She believed that God exists. And she even didn't know how to pray. But I said, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to help you. I am here to help you, to lead you to, to God. And we also pray for her family that is in Cuba. She really wants that this family come over to America. And we pray also about it. And I want to pray like, um, I, I also preached to another girl that she said, but I don't believe that God exists. She was an atheist. But I said, but it's by faith. That is why I, I decided to, uh, to testify about faith because I said, it's by faith. And she said, but I don't have that faith. And I said, can I pray for you that you can have that faith? But she was in a hurry and she left. And I prayed. I said, I, I prayed to God and I prayed for her like a, that God give her the faith to believe that God exists. And I pray like uh, if you have that in your head, in your heart, like uh, there is no God because you don't see him. But I, I, I am for sure that you will see him in the day of judgment. We're going to see him. Every knee is going to bow down and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus is the Lord. And I want to pray this morning like, uh, oh, Father God, I pray this morning, Lord, for every one of us that are here this morning, Lord, that if there is anybody who doesn't have faith in you, oh God, I pray for faith in hearts, oh Lord, because it's by faith. You just say it in Hebrews 11, 6, Lord, like without faith, it's impossible to please you, Lord. And I pray, Lord, and we, we, are, we don't have enough faith. I pray for more faith, Lord, in our lives, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. 
Hallelujah. Come on, just raise your hands with me this morning. Come on, we're going to open the eyes of our faith right now to know that the Holy Spirit is here. Jesus is here already. Come on, all over this room. Come on, activate your faith this morning, knowing that you've come to a place where God is being lifted up. Come on, Jesus is here. We believe, Lord. We believe you're here. Lift them up this morning. We are. 
Don't wait till the altar call. You know you came in wrong. You got to make it right. Come on, make it right right now. Just say, Jesus, forgive me. Wash me clean. Wash me clean. Wash my attitude. Wash my mindset clean, God. Come on, that's you. Come on, that's you. Don't wait. Don't wait. talks about a time where you won't feel his Holy Spirit no more. And some of us come into this place and we take worship for granted. We take his presence for granted. And we're going to say, hey, you know, next time I'll get it right. He'll be there. He'll be there. But there's a time coming, you guys, where he's not going to draw you anymore. Your conscience will be so seared off where you can't feel it anymore. And you're going to wonder, how did that happen? And this morning, Jesus is saying, get it right. He's calling you. He's calling you. Let that tenderness of your heart still be there and say, God, I'm not going to wait another day, another moment. I want to make it right right now. Come on, that's you. you got to respond to him. He's calling your name. Jesus, oh, you're glorious. You're holy. You're worthy of our lives, worthy to be praised. We're coming to you, Lord. loving kindness that brings us to repentance it's your loving kindness it's your love God that's drawing us to you
just your voice to him.
open up this time, Holy Spirit, for you to speak to us, God. There's no one like you, Lord. you're with us God we thank you that you fight on our behalf come on if that's you you feel like you're struggling you're fighting on your own come on receive that word this morning that he is with you Jesus you are fighting with us oh God the victory is already won come on if that word is for you come on respond say thank you Lord we have faith we believe that you're with us God you're fighting with us Lord thankful for the word of the Lord this morning but he is an awesome God he is strong he's the Alpha Omega the great I am come on you are with us God come on if you believe that just start worshiping him start praising him say God thank you Lord you are with us God come on just say this one more time there is no one there is none higher Jesus, the one who is mighty to save, the 
one who heals, the one who fights for there us, the one who died so we can live. Strong. 
alive. You are alive. You rose from the dead. We celebrate you, Jesus. We thank you, oh God, because you've made victory sure. We thank you, oh God, that we don't have to spend eternity without you, that you came to save us, to set us free from our sin. We celebrate you, Jesus. We celebrate your victory. We worship you this morning. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo. Jesus. Jesus, you reign. You reign. You reign on high. Reign in our hearts this morning, oh God as we live for you day in and day out. Be glorified in this place and in our lives. And everybody said, amen. Give the Lord a hand clap this morning of praise. Woo! Give your neighbor a high five as you uh, take a seat this morning. We're going to dismiss King's Kids. You guys can go on back with your teachers. Let's Let's give it up for these little children that we have. They're watching us. They're watching to see how we worship the Lord. That's a testimony to them. Amen. I want to welcome all of you to Metro Praise International this morning. My name is Nancy Wyrostek. I'm one of the apostolic elders here, and I want to preach the gospel to you this morning. We preach the gospel every Sunday. want to present it to you in a very clear way. I'm going to be reading out of the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 19. Before I read this verse, I just want to let you know what's going on in the previous verses. Here we have the apostle Peter and John. They were two disciples of Jesus. And they were going through the temple that day, and they saw a man begging for money. And he was handicapped. He was in a wheelchair at that time. And Peter and John stretched forth their hands, and they said, Silver and gold we don't have, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And this man who got up and he walked. And everybody around them, all the the Israelite men at that time, because this was in Jerusalem, they were all astonished, like, how could that happen? And Peter begins to preach to them, and he says, listen, men of Israel, there was a man named Jesus. He came to be our Messiah. And by you, through your leaders, you crucified him. You killed the author of life. That's what he said to them. You killed the author of life. You put him to the cross. But don't worry because he said you acted in ignorance. And that was all a part of God's plan to fulfill prophecy from the prophets of old. And he says to them this message. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He says, it's okay because you know what? It's our sin. It was our sin that sent Jesus to the cross. Everybody in this room, from me to the one all the way in the back, it was our sin that sent Jesus to the cross. Because if he didn't go and sacrifice himself, a perfect sacrifice, there would be no other payment that God would accept. We would all be doomed. 
And my message to you this morning is if you're not right with God, if you are not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ who came and died and rose again so that you can live, if you have not received him, if you have not been born again, that you are not right with God and your sins have not been forgiven and your place for all of eternity will be in the lake of fire in hell. But that does not have to be how the story goes. Amen? Because we serve a good God. He made a way so that we could be saved. If you could please close your eyes all across this uh, room. If you know that's you, and your heart, if your heart is pounding right now on your chest, and you know you have to get right with Jesus, I want you to start praying and say, God, save me. I repent of my sins. Forgive me. I want to be born again. Come and live inside of my heart. Rule and reign in my life. God, I pray for every single person that you are calling today. God, you know their heart. You know their name. You have engraved their names in the palm of your hand. I pray, oh God, that you would convict sin and that you would draw them to you through your loving kindness this morning, God. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Please stand up to your feet with me this morning. We're going to have our prayer workers here to the side during our fellowship time. If you can please go and ask them for prayer. Say, I need prayer. I want to live right for Jesus. I want to be discipled in this church. I want to learn to I want to learn how to live for Jesus. That's who you want to go to during our fellowship time. Amen. And right now we're going to confess our confession of faith. It is a proclamation that we recite every single Sunday because this is what we believe. This is what we stand upon. On the count of three, one, two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind. It is by faith alone and Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Come on, clap it up for Jesus. Take this time to fellowship, love on somebody, shake somebody's hand that you've never met before.
Amen. Let's try that again. I had my mic off. Good morning. Look to your neighbor. Say, it's good to see you here this morning. Look to your other neighbor. Say, I'm so glad you decided to come. Welcome this morning to Metro Praise International. We are so thankful that you came to join us this morning to worship the Lord. If this is your first time here, we welcome you. Let's give it up for all of our first-time visitors. If you did not receive one of these at the door, come on, clap it up. You guys can uh, just wave your hand in the air. Our ushers will give one to you. You can sign, fill out the bottom portion, drop it in the drop box. We would love to connect with you throughout the week. Our services here are every Sunday at 10 a.m. That's our main service. And then we have Elevate every Fridays at 7 p.m. for our um, teenagers, 11 to 18 years old. And we have our exciting announcement. Again, we want to remind you of our Thanksgiving outreach that's coming up. November 27th, Thanksgiving Day, in the morning, we're going to meet here at 9.30 a.m. And then we're going to drive over to uh, the west side. And we're going to join Universal MB Church and just be a blessing to that community. Reach out, give out Thanksgiving lunches, street witness right outside uh, in front of the church, and just be a blessing. How many of you guys want to be a blessing to those in need that morning. Come on. So we look forward to seeing a lot of you coming on out and just us going in numbers to go uh, bless that church and that community. Uh, our vision here is very simple. It's loving God and loving people. That is what we desire to do. We strive to have that happen in our life in every area of our life, and that is the vision of Metro Praise. And then our discipleship strategy is threefold. It's connect, mentor, and send. And we want to connect you to Jesus. We want to connect you to our church through our life groups. And in the back of your handouts, if you want to flip that over, there's a place to take notes. And in the back is our life group schedule for this whole quarter. Look at the information. Check out what kind of um, Bible studies or special event type of life groups there are. And find a place that works for you, your family, and your life. And here's a snapshot of what's going on just this week that we have. So today, Sunday, is our worship team, 201 Deacons and Elders, meeting at 1230. So they're meeting today. And then we also have our marriage group. Come on, somebody make some noise for our married couples. 5 p.m., uh, Ricky and Rachel's house. Then we have Tuesday, we have Righteously Redeemed, our Elevate Life Group, 11 to 18 years old at 6 p.m., meeting here at the church. Wednesday, every week, we have our King's Kids, infant to 11 years old, uh, 6.30. You can drop them off. You can go have a date night. You can go do laundry and then come back and pick them up at 8. So we have that available for the children every week. Thursday, we have the Resistance Elevate Life Group, 11 to 18 years old at 6 p.m., they're going to be meeting here as well. And we have two adult Bible studies on Fridays, one at the Govea's house, one at the Walker's house. Both of them are for 18 years and up, child care included, at 7 p.m. So if you're an adult and you want something to get involved in every week, the, that, those are the houses you want to go to because it's, it's on like Donkey Kong when you go to those Bible studies. And then Saturday, evangelism, all ages, meet at the church at 5 p.m., and we go out to the streets to share our faith. So that's what's happening at Metro Praise this week. So don't be complaining and talk about how bored you are, okay? Look at your, look at your neighbor and say, church isn't boring. Look to your other neighbors and say, Jesus isn't boring either. If you're bored, it's because you're boring. You don't have to repeat all that, but that's the truth. It's tight, but it's right. I think we've got to add that to the MPI sayings. I think we left that out. Oh, no, I think we left out get right or get left, okay? That's what we left out. And then we want to disciple you. We want to mentor you. That's phase two. We want to take you through the 101. We have leaders in place in our 101, leaders in place to take you through the 101. 
uh, seven steps to your spiritual growth. And I know that every week I always say, you know, if you're new to the church, new to living for the Lord, but even if you've been serving the Lord for 20 plus years, if you want Metro Praise to be your church family and you want God to use you to be a leader here, we still want you to go through this. And you may know this, you may be able to teach our leader. It's okay. Humble yourself. Say, I want to be great for God. I probably know this book like the back of my hand. It's okay if you know it. We want you to know it like how we know it, like how our leaders are going to teach it to you so that you one day can take somebody else through it. So it's not really that big of a deal. If you're saying, well, I've been a part of another church for like 15 years. Why do I have to do it? Well, because this is what Metro Praise does, and we want you to do it with us one day. So what better way than for you to go through it so that one day you could take somebody else through it? And then we have our 201 class every Sunday, Disciples Making Disciples, 12 Lessons is our leadership training, and we want you to be a part of that so that you could go on and be an elder deacon, send you out to win souls for Jesus. And our goal is to have 100,000 disciples in Chicago with 50 churches in this city and then 500 churches around the world. If you believe we could do that by God's grace, say amen. And say amen if you want to be a part of that. Got a little quiet. Say amen if you want to be a part of that. Come on, we believe what we say. We speak life. You know, the Bible says, you know, take, if you have a vision, write it down, make it plain, make it known. We've made it plain. We've been writing, we've had it written down for 10 years almost now. And we've been saying that thing, that vision every single week. We want you to be a part of that. Amen. Let's get ready to go through our tithes and offering lesson. We are on section four of the book. We're going through section four. It's called 10 Hindrances to Overcome to Be a Generous Giver. And we are on lesson four of section four. And today we're going to be talking about overcoming discouragement, okay? And if you guys are honest, we could probably all say we get discouraged sometimes in life. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians 6, 9. As I read the definition of a hindrance. Because we're going to be going through this for the, rest of the, uh, for the rest of this year. A hindrance is something that prevents us from being obedient to God's commands. And if you all know, we don't want to be disobedient to God's commands, if you agree. So those hindrances need to get plucked out in our life. Let's read Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Look to your neighbor say, don't give up. We don't like no quitters around here. Here's the main points. Don't get weary in doing good. We should never get tired and discouraged and following God's commands because they are life-giving to our souls. However, you may get tempted to get discouraged and give up because you don't see changes in your finances. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you encouragement and energy to remain faithful. And I think this is a lesson of relationship. You're not giving your tithes and offerings and obeying God's commands out of religiosity. We're not a part of a religion. We're a part of a relationship. So when Jesus is the lover of your soul, when Jesus is your best friend and you're getting discouraged because you're not seeing changes in your finances, what do you do with a friend? Do you just block them out? No, you go and you talk to them. So we need to come to the Lord in prayer. Go to the Holy Spirit and say, God, I need your help. Help me through this time. We don't just say, hey, I tried that Jesus stuff and it doesn't work. How many of you guys have heard that excuse? I tried that Jesus stuff. It doesn't work. Well, that's not going to work with, uh, with a relationship with God. Number two, at the proper time, God promised that there is a proper time that we will be blessed because of our giving. But if we don't give generously all the time, say all the time, we will miss that time of blessing. 
Therefore, be consistent in your giving all the time and get ready for harvest time. And so going back on that a little excuse of like, I tried that Jesus stuff, it doesn't work. We need to be consistent because we could say the same thing about diet and exercise. Well, I tried that exercise stuff, it doesn't work. Well, guess what? If you quit after two days of exercising, it's not going to work. But the problem is not the exercise, it's the lack thereof. So the problem is not, you know, you tithing. It's when you stop and you give up and the consistency isn't there. We could say the same thing about not eating, you know. If you take the opposite. If, we're not, if you say, oh, you got food poisoning one day and you throw up and that's all this crazy stuff, you could say, well, that food stuff isn't working for me. I'm not going to eat anymore. It's not working. I can't do it. No, we're consistent to feed ourselves, take care of ourselves, and it does not matter. It com- it's the same thing with God's commands. Number three, those who don't give up reap a harvest. You may have a hundred excuses to be discouraged and not be a giver all the time, but one reason should encourage you to never give up. Love for God, relationship, right? Out of your love for God, be encouraged to never give up being generous because God's blessings are coming your way. Say they're coming my way. Here's a summary. Overcome discouragement by being encouraged by God's promise that you will reap a harvest. Let's apply this. Number one, be faithful in giving your tithes, 10% of your total income and offerings, anything you give after your tithes. Number two, repent if you have allowed fatigue and discouragement to prevent you from being consistent in giving, your, uh, in giving to God. And number three, ask God to encourage and strengthen you to never give up in doing good so that you can reap a harvest at the proper time. Stand up if you believe that. If you want to reap a harvest, say, it is mine. Let's confess this. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Let's get ready and prepare to give our tithes and offerings this morning. Again, we believe at MPI that a tithe is 10% of your total income. Anything you give above that is an offering. And at Metro Praise, we have designated our offerings in two different places. One's to missions, one's to building. Please make it clear in the envelope, put the amount in the exact category where you would like to see it go. And, of course, we're still in the mission uh, fund, you know, missions fund for uh, the Philippines. So we're getting prepared to go to the Philippines. Stay faithful. Thank you, everyone, for your generosity. Let's recite this uh, verse together. Acts 20, 35. The Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your promises, your word, that if we do not give up, if we do not grow weary, God, that you will come through, that your promises are yes and amen. So I pray for a blessing over your people. Bless them, prosper them, favor them on their jobs, bring increases to them so that we could take care of our family, give to the kingdom of God, because when we put you first, God, all these things that we need will be given unto us. So bless Metro Praise as we declare, God, that this city belongs to you so that we could reach out and do more, God, so more saves souls could come uh, into the kingdom. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Please come forward as you give this morning.
Come on, if you're ready, can I hear I love Jesus? Woo! Can I get a woo-woo? Come on, y'all in the winter hibernation mode today. Can I get a woo-woo? Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians 5.17. We are now in the middle of winter. It has snowed. How many of y'all just looked at the snow and said, that ain't nothing. That ain't nothing. I'm coming to church this morning. Can I get a little more mic, please? We want to believe, God, that you're going to come to church every morning. Amen? Every Sunday, no snow is going to keep you back. Let me just give you my little snow talk right here. We're going to be having church every single week, whether you're here or not, okay? So if it's dangerous for you and your family to come, I still want you to make the right decision, go at home, and watch it on the webcast if it's too dangerous, okay? But if you want to come, I just want you to know every week we're going to have church. Can I get a whoop whoop for that? I just want to get a little bit more mic. I need it today. I want you guys to get encouraged during this winter season, though, when most people get into hibernation and they want to get into their, like, like their holiday season and then forget about Jesus, who's the reason for the season. I want you all to remind them to come to church, okay? So during the winter time, where are we going to be? In church. So during the summer, we rocked it out in church. I want to do that again in the winter. Can I hear an amen to that? Okay. So, yeah, I was looking at the snow, and I was like, man, that ain't nothing. I'm ready for like four feet of snow, man. I'm ready. I'm ready for last year to happen again this year times two. No, I'm kidding. I don't really want it. I don't want it at all. How, how many, they're making predictions that we're supposed to have that kind of a winter vortex this year. Uh, just a, a survey as if it matters. But let's just take a survey. How many of y'all believe we're going to have a winter vortex again this year? Okay. Well, about, ha- about half of you. How many of you believe we're not having a winter vortex? Oh, I guess there's less of you. Okay, so I guess we're probably going to have a winter vortex then. No, but like they're saying it, and I just, I'm just like, it just can't happen. And me personally, I'm just like, it cannot happen. There is no way I can have two of these winters in a row, you know? Because I'm thinking like last winter was the most craziest winter of my life. And I think technically for everybody here, unless you're like over 40 years old or 50, I think that was pretty much y'all's craziest winter, right? We got a young church. I don't think it's been ever crazier than that since like 1962 or something, you know? Like my, my father-in-law was telling me about, oh, in 1962, the snow was so bad. You know, he was telling me one time. It was like 82. No, I think it was 82. Okay, back to the sermon. You all ready to hear it? Let's preach. Let's get it on. Okay, go to 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're in the series called The Identity in Christ, your identity in Jesus. So if you're born again, this applies to you. If you're not born again, you need to get born again so you can hear all these goodies. Here's the scripture notes online like always. 2 Corinthians 5.17, read it with me. One, two, three. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Amen. Now look at it in the NLT, the New Living Translation. Let's read together. One, two, three. This means that any Anyone who belongs to to become a new person, the old life is gone, a new life has begun. I want you to look at this introduction up here. I want to read it word for word. A lot of our stuff here is reading because we want you guys to get it. We want you to learn. We want you to capture the heart of what we're trying to teach you. Sometimes you can go to a church and say, man, I had a lot of fun. And then somebody can ask you, what they talk about? And you're like, I don't know. But I had fun. And they, they clapped a lot, and we had fun. No, but I want you to gain something from this. That's why, by the way, I'm a very, um, what they call a conversational preacher. I can preach without notes. I can talk all day about Jesus. But the reason why I put it on the notes is so actually you can go back and get those same thoughts. So I hope that you take advantage of that as 
well as the sermon replays that go on YouTube. But look at this introduction because I think it says it better than I could even say it right now when I was sitting down writing it. This was, I think, a good theme for us uh, today. Living righteous has been misunderstood in the church so much lately that many Christians think it's more normal to sin and be forgiven than to avoid sin altogether. Plus, when those in the same, those same churchgoers, when they hear about living righteous, they commonly mistake it with legalism of man-made traditions. Then believe that it is an intrinsic identity of those already in Christ. Everybody say intrinsic identity. See, a lot of times when people hear, we're going to live righteous, they start thinking of legalism, women getting uh, their hairs in buns and man's not able to wear cool clothes and listening to lame music. They start thinking of legalism instead of intrinsic identity. Therefore, today's message is going to look at the Psalm of David, that popular Psalm 23, to, show with you, to share with you the path of righteousness. Okay, so I want to talk about today the path of righteousness. Before I do, let's go to the review, and the review is for who? You. Okay, the review is for you. Look at your neighbor one more time. The review is for you, little old cute you. Little cute you. It's for you. Okay. Three messages thus far in the series, and here they are because they're all tying together. They are tying together. There is a method to this madness right here. The first week we talked about knowing who you are. There's only two types of people, and what are those people called? Sinners and saints, okay? We don't need to define that again. I think you know what that means. In the category of saints, there's two types of saints. These are the people who have been genuinely born again. They do know the Lord, but there's two different kinds of lifestyles they'll live. There's number one, what? Worldly Christians. There's people who don't live like they have been changed. They truly have been changed, but they don't live like it. And then there's called what? Disciples. What are you supposed to be? Okay, what do you want your family to be? Disciples, right? And the difference between the worldly Christian and the disciple is the disciple lives as Christ called them to live because they know who they are. The disciple is not better at self-motivation, uh, at, at self-change, at selfism in any way. It's not a self-expression. The disciple knows what God has done, the power of God, the transforming of God, the word of God. The difference between a disciple and a worldly Christian is not self-discipline. It's not self-motivation. It is knowing who God is and who God made them to be. I am free because I know the truth, and the truth has set me free. I didn't make myself free. I was set free. So today, if you're here and you are a worldly Christian, you only have yourself to blame. You can't even blame the devil because Jesus defeated the devil on the cross and stomped on his head and took the death, hell, and the grave to, to heaven with him, and he conquered it, and he sits on a throne. And you can't blame your neighbor because your neighbor will stand by God's judgment alone. So you can't blame the devil. You can't blame your family. If you're a worldly Christian today, your lack of belief in God's word is to blame. 
So you are, listen to me, everybody here, just like we would go to a, uh, a gym and uh, um, the trainer would say to you, you are in the exact kind of shape that you have wanted to be in because this is what you have done. You have the results of exactly what you wanted to do. No one force-fed you that pizza. No one made you stay home and miss that workout. So physically, you look exactly the way you have determined to look. Hello? Now, y'all may not like that. You may want to argue with the person, but I have been out of shape long enough to know there ain't no argument. I have my muscle right here because I've been working this muscle all day long. <laughs> and so I don't have anybody to blame but myself. I look the way I, and I'm, ta I'm talking about a, a person without a physical handicap, okay? So I'm not blaming Down syndrome or cancer on people. Everybody get what I'm talking about. I'm talking about normal U's and I's up in this place. You have your belly or your muscles because it was your choice. Now, it is the same thing. If you are a worldly Christian, that is your choice. If you keep getting pimp slapped by your own sin, it is your choice. If the devil keeps dragging you through depression, dragging you through low self-esteem, that is your choice. Because at any time, you could say, get behind me, Satan. At any time, you could say, I'm a child of God. Power is mine. At any time. John chapter 8 says about it. So, matter of fact, let's turn there in the introduction. i got to preach a little bit. Amen. I'll preach this introduction because it's what? Just the introduction. Turn with me to John chapter 8, verse 31. Jesus talked to those who believed in him, these Jewish followers. How many believe in Jesus today? Oh, amen. You all believe in Jesus. So let's see if you want to go to that next step. Or do you just want to stay as a worldly Christian, as the, the book of Corinthians says, someone who uh, has things in their heart that Christ told them not to have, and you live as a mere human. You live on mere human potential, mere human ability. That's what he was rebuking them for. That's where the term carnal, worldly Christian comes from. It comes from the book of Corinthians. And Paul was saying, y'all just living like mere humans. Now, have you ever heard anybody make a mistake and say, I'm just human? Shame on you. You're supposed to be born again, a child of God, sharing in the divine nature of Jesus. You ain't just a mere human no more. If you're born again, you just can't say, well, everybody's human. Oh, my goodness. Y'all going to make me snap up in here? Y'all ain't, ain't even ready for John 8. Y'all ain't ready for John 8. Go to 1 Corinthians. Oh, I will preach it until you believe it or until I lose my voice. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. I just see I got to park here for a little bit. Either y'all tired and you need to help me understand you got this, or some of y'all still wrestling with this, and that's okay because that's why we do the reviews because it's for you, right? There we go. Go to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 3. I just got to explain it so clearly because I'm so tired of the devil lying to us and you lying to yourself, acting like living a busted, disgusted life is part of Christianity. You think sinning and being forgiven, sinning and being forgiven is part of the deal. That's not what we're supposed to do. Yeah, a tightrope walker has a net if they're smart. If they fall, they get caught by the net. But the net ain't a trampoline. Some of y'all using the grace of God like it's a trampoline. Boing, boing, you know. Woo, I'm having fun. Haven't fallen and gotten hurt yet. Come on, you, the, the net is not a trampoline. The net of Christ, the grace of Christ, is to motivate you to walk that perfect holy life. It's to motivate you to say, I got you if you fall. But here's the standard. 
So sinning and falling, sinning and falling is not supposed to be our pattern. Walking the tightrope of holiness is our pattern, amen? And that's the message, but I can't get to that yet. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, if you're there, say I'm there. Amen, so simple, just look at it. Paul's rebuking the church. Sometimes the church needs to be corrected. I lost something up here. Please help me. It says, you are still what? Worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not what? Worldly, you, are you not acting like mere? So does the Bible say that after we get born again, when we make a mistake, we can simply just say, I'm just human. I, just, I, want to, I wish I could make the ugliest face right now. Just look at your neighbor and make the most ugliest face you can. So I want to make an ugly face. Don't eat barbecue to human. God. It's like, why did Jesus die on the cross then? You just live in sin? You understand, Jesus, I'm not perfect. This is how it's going to be. You died. I sinned. Now we got a deal going on. I'll keep sinning. You keep forgiving. Is that what Jesus said on the cross? Is that what Jesus told the woman that got caught in adultery? You know, she got caught in adultery. They wanted to stone. We all know that, that scripture. Everybody knows it. Uh, just give me another mic until you all figure it out. One, two, okay. The salvation you receive, is it perfect or imperfect? When Jesus died on the cross, was his sacrifice perfect or imperfect? Okay, so when God looks at you, does he see an imperfect person or does he see a perfect person? 
Okay, now when you sin, what happens? You are acting outside of your nature, and that is why it's called a sin, because you did what you weren't supposed to do, and now you are to be forgiven. So if us in our perfect state with Christ live in sin, the Bible says we can harden our heart and have salvation removed from us. But it will not be because we kept on sinning per se. Hebrews says it will happen because of unbelief. Unbelief. Do not harden your heart, Hebrew says, in unbelief as they did, talking about the Jewish people in the wilderness, so that then you separate yourself from God. So the hardening comes from a sinful heart that leads to unbelief. But look at it quickly. First uh, Peter chapter 1. If you're there, can you say I'm there? Brother, can you get me one of the microphones from over here? Uh, I think they're so much better than what I'm, what I'm working with. We're going to fix all this today. Look at uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, and look at what it says right here. Look how I got it all highlighted here, but we're not going to go to that part. Go up to the first part, please. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1, I want to get you guys this, um, verse 3. Look at what it says right here. His divine power has given us everything we need for a what? Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and Goodness, thank you. One, two, much better, much. Let's give it up for the sound men making it happen. Amen. Thank you. I just got to just pause here. Look at this verse 3. Look at what it says. Chapter 1 of Second Peter, verse 3. His divine power. Who gave it to us? He did. His divine what? Power has given us Everything we need for what? A godly life. Does God live in sin? Does God live a lustful life? Does God live a jacked up life? Have you been given everything you need to live like God? So why you keep saying I'm just human, nobody's perfect? So what are you? See, if you believe in God and yet you act like that, you're a worldly Christian. You are worldly. You are not who God called you to be. Now, when I start talking like this, if you start thinking the next thing we're going to say is, here's the list of all the things you have to do to be righteous, you miss the point. I don't do things to be righteous. I do things out of righteousness. See, he's given me everything. Everything's already been given. When did I get everything? It doesn't say it in the verse. It said it in another verse we read. When did I get everything? salvation when I was what? Born again. So I already have righteousness. I already have everything. So am I doing one good work to get a part of everything? Doing another good work to get a part of everything? So do I do a good work? God gives me some righteousness. I do a good work. God gives me some righteousness. I do a bad work. He takes away some righteousness. Is that the deal we got? When was everything given? When I was born again. When was everything given to you? So if you don't live godly, whose fault is it? Your fault. Look at it right here. It says, you have been given by his divine power everything you need for a life in godliness. How does this come to be? Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Is he a good God? So is he going to put you in a position where you don't got something that you need? Because maybe God gave you everything you needed, but the devil's got one thing up on God. So are you lacking something when you're tempted? 
Could you ever say in your temptation, oh, God, snickerdoodles, you didn't provide for me a way out. You didn't provide a way for me to get out of this. You didn't give me the knowledge of how to avoid this temptation. Everything Jesus has given you is everything you need to live holy and righteous. It's already been given. Well, I want a good attitude. It was already given. I want to live holy without perversion. It's already been given. If you're convinced it has not been given to you, that's okay because you're not born again. Then you need to get saved because I'm not going to argue with you. If you're really going to sit back and get up in my face and go, I'm telling you, man, I'm a perverted person. I don't feel it at all. Well, then you're not saved. You're just not saved yet. You didn't have the experience that I had November 5th, 1995. Because when I met Jesus that day, I knew some old was taken out and new was given. I knew that a new mind was given to me. Now, I didn't have all the knowledge and understanding of it, but I understood something just happened. A trade, a a trade, a divine trade happened in my life. Look at verse 4. Through these What are the these? His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. As a human being that is born again, are you supposed to participate in the sinful nature? Are you supposed to participate in a body of sin? Old memories, your five senses. What you can touch, taste, see, and feel. Are you supposed to participate in that or participate in the divine nature? See, I just got to pause right here before I even preach today's message. See, is this not, I mean, just the question is, do you believe that? You, you, can, you can see me up here like I'm tap dancing, you know. Like, you have a divine nature. He's given you everything, you know. Like, do you believe it? Like, like as if I'm up here, like, trying to convince you of something you don't believe. If you don't believe it, this is, I, I could have just read cat in the hat to you. But if you believe it, your life will never be the same. I'm born again by belief. I live who God called me to be by belief. It's all by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. I can't be born again unless I believe he died on the cross for me. Were you ever there when he was crucified? So you believe it, Right. Do you see the brand new you, the perfect righteous you? No, but you got to believe it, and you got to take it at its word. This is the Christian life. So when I say to you, get out of sin, stop living like this, I'm not now saying to you, well, you better work up for it. You better try really hard. I'm saying take what he's given you and apply it. Believe who he made you to be. Live like how he made you to live. Can I hear an amen? Now go to John chapter 8, verse 31. Someone say this is just the introduction. Oh, man, we're even not even halfway through the introduction. We're at the first point of the introduction. There's three points to the introduction. How many came to learn something today? Praise God. I know we can preach and have fun and sing more worship songs, but I want you all to get this in your spirit. Look at John 8, 31. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, how many believe in Jesus? Okay. Now watch what he says. So just put this together. I believe in Jesus. Do you believe that he has transformed you? Do you believe that you're supposed to live a certain way? Do you believe that it's all been given to you by Christ? See, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's the difference between a worldly Christian and a disciple. This is what he says to the Jews who had believed in him. If you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. Does that make sense now? 
Do y'all get why we do discipleship up in this church? Because we're saying stop being worldly Christians and live like Christ called you to be. If you really believe, be a disciple. We got enough hypocrites in the church. Be a disciple. Then you will know the truth. This is not just a mental ascent to facts, like I'm ascending to the fact that I believe God did X, Y, and Z. I'm not just ascending mentally. I am believing and trusting with everything that I am. As the example that I gave, that the person who goes across the tightrope in downtown Chicago, and he says, now somebody hop on my shoulders. Y'all believe I can do with somebody on my shoulders? We can all say, I know you can do it, Bubba. But the question is, do you know he can do it enough to get on his shoulders and let him walk you across the tightrope? See, a disciple doesn't just say, oh, yeah, I'm a new creation, but do nothing about it. Oh, yeah, I know I've been given everything I need for godliness, but still live ungodly. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to participate in the divine nature and reject my sinful nature, but does nothing about it. No, the disciple says they know the truth. They do something about it, and the truth sets them free from how many sins? Some sin from all sin. So a person born again is set free from all sin. All sin. Anytime I sin, I'm like the person going to the jail cell, walking myself in, shutting the cage, locking the door, and handing it to the guy. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I just want to lock myself up today. But you're a free man. Yeah. You're innocent. Yeah. But I still want to be in jail today. That's what it's like when a Christian lives in sin. That's exactly what it's like. You are innocent before God. You've been given everything you need for righteousness. You've been given freedom. And yet you want to go to pornography and go lock me up in here. Yet you want to go to depression, lock me up in here. Yet you want to go to anger, lock me up in here. Yet you want to go to unforgiveness, bitterness, lock me up in here. And it's like we talked about coming to America. Eddie Murphy pretending to be somebody who he's not. He was a prince, but yet he pretended to be a guy at McDowell's. You're all tracking with me. And the devil loves it when Christians live below their identity. You're going to live like a mere human when God said you could participate in the divine nature. And the devil gets his kicks out of watching us disgrace the image of God. Don't disgrace the image of God. Live in the image of God, the Imago Dei, who Christ made you to be. Can I hear an amen? And if you're wondering, keep going to verse 36. Well, how long does it last? Look at verse 35. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I always love telling the story about free. What is freedom like? Freedom is like back in the times of the African slave trade. The Bible says that all slave traders will go to hell. This is an unbiblical doctrine, but people in America abused it, treated Africans as if they were not human beings. But the Bible teaches slave traders in the book of Timothy will go to hell. So let's clarify what the Bible teaches. Amen. But imagine in the African slave trade someone being brought here from Africa, being sold on the ships of one of the shorelines, uh, being brought off the ships onto one of the shorelines, say New York. They're there. They're being tied. They're naked, being treated like an animal, and yet someone pays the price for their freedom, and then they say to that person, I don't want you to be my slave. I paid the price so that you now could be free. 
Could you imagine in that scenario that person then saying, no, I want to go to Georgia and be on a cotton field. Are you listening to me? This is what we were to the devil. We were bound in our sin, being abused by our sin. He was a wicked taskmaster. Jesus laid down his life. The cross is not a trivial event. It's the greatest event of history. He took our punishment so that we could go free and be in the house of the Lord forever. Any other excuse, I have a phrase for you. Any excuse that you have to this, this truth right here, I got a phrase for you. To hell with that. Any excuse you want to say to this truth, I want to say to hell with that. Well, I wasn't raised this way. To hell with that. Well, my religion taught me differently. To hell with that religion. Well, I don't always feel like that. To hell with your thoughts. Let all these things be lies, but God be true. There is nothing from the pit of hell that's going to save you now, my friends. It's Jesus and the blood of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus. It's all Jesus, everything else. It's in the pits of hell, and that's where it's going to be. Do you want to go there, or do you want to be with the son in his house? So I'm not saying that just to be sassy, though I can be sassy when I preach. I literally mean it to hell with it. It's got no good for you. It's from the devil himself, and the devil is the father of what? Father of lies. So anything coming out of your mouth that is other than this truth is a lie, has its origin in the devil, and the devil's going where? Do you all want to go to hell with the devil? No, I want to go to heaven with Jesus, amen? Let's live like it, amen? I don't want to start living like I'm in heaven when I get to heaven. I want to live like I'm in heaven right now, amen? I want to live like I'm blessed right now. I want to live like God intended me to live. Now, some people say, well, sometimes Christians get persecuted. That's right. But other than me getting whipped and beaten like they are right now in the Middle East, as long as I have freedom of religion, I'm going to live a bold life for Jesus, and I'm going to be an example to everybody I can see until they tie me up, put me in a dungeon. Are you all listening to me? Amen. Go back to the introduction, please. Well, I'm glad you came to church this morning. Amen. Are you glad that you came? Because otherwise I'd be preaching to myself, which wouldn't be the first time I've done that. Look at the second part of the introduction. So the review is for you. Everybody say the review is for you. Two types of people, sinners and saints. In the category of saints, there are worldly Christians and there are disciples. What do you want to be? I hope you want to be a disciple. Now we talked about soul theology. And it's funny because uh, this is really, um, you know, uh, kind of like the sad part of being a pastor. So soul theology, we know we have all of our messages online, has like the lowest number of views. It's like 12 views. It's like, it's like yeah, it's like a couple of people just went by and just checked it out. I was like, oh, that's boring. And, and I don't know if you guys were here for soul theology. I don't know. But let me just tell you something. Soul theology is the deepest thing I've probably ever come up with by God's grace. This is like the pinnacle of my life's work. And everybody's like, eh, whatever. You know, I don't don't got time for that. And I'm so serious. There are things we do in Christianity as pastors that kind of uh, uh, inches out the knowledge of God upon the earth. You know, look at knowledge as being a circle. 
And uh, we as pastors are supposed to push that circle out because the Bible says that one day the knowledge of the Lord is going to cover the earth as the waters do the seas. So we're supposed to be here and push that out. And every now and then in a pastor's life, we don't just push it out through missions and getting more people to know about Jesus. Sometimes Jesus will give us a heavy revy. Heavy revy. Everybody say heavy revy. Thank you. And so what we'll do is we'll, we'll kind of like talk about a new aspect of God's nature that maybe wasn't seen before, something that was just tremendous and eye-opening. Uh, the, the idea of small groups came from John Wesley. It just He kind of pushed it out a little bit further. Uh, discipleship through the Methodist movement after John Wesley, this, this idea, you know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit being evidenced with speaking in other tongues. The Pentecostals kind of pushed that out a little bit. Social justice and things like that. People like Martin Luther King got the church's mind on what's going on in the world outside of the church, pushed it out a little bit. And I feel like my little pushing out into the body of Christ to open up minds is to talk about our soul and who we are and I've studied all the greats on this and I've gotten a lot of information and I feel like I have a unique perspective on it and I don't try to get so deep in the church with it that we get lost but if I was to write a book and and to give it into a a, 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 a theology setting and say this would be a theological book because by the way everything I do in ministries practical ministries the doctorate that I'll be taking in Trinity is a practical uh, it's, it's called a doctorate in ministry but this would be a theological subject. Everybody say theology. And the basic idea is very simple. Your soul has been saved. It's so simple, but yet it's so deep. And, and if you study it out, it will blow your mind. But here's what I want you to get in the introduction right here. Just to review, there's two types of people, sinners and saints. And there's two types of people that are living as saints, worldly Christians and Christians. And when you look at what happened when you were born again, it's not just something that I think happened in my life because I discovered this. No, I believe it happened in everybody's life, and I think I just have a unique description of it by God's grace. And what that is is your mind became new, your will became new, and your emotions became new. And this is how I can look at myself personally. When I was first a Christian, I would cry over stuff that never used to make me cry. And you know why that was? It's because God made my emotions new. Did anybody, can anybody relate to that? Okay, like you'd be in a worship service and somebody would talk about Jesus or a song would talk about Jesus and tears would come down your eyes. But before you were born again, you would hear those same things, no tears coming down your eyes. See, I was a church kid. I grew up around church, and I can relate to being in services where everybody's feeling Jesus, and I'm not. I was like the frozen chosen. You get what I'm saying? I was like an ice cube. They're on fire, and I'm like, man, what's going on? Well, the problem was my emotions hadn't been changed. Okay, here's another thing. How many of you, when you got saved, you did things, uh, quit things, uh, started things, committed to things that you never could have done in your own willpower? Okay, so just for a perfect example, this is just a miracle, just a miracle in my own life. This is like my mom's like one of her favorite miracles is I quit. I had and quit 30 jobs between the time I was 15 and 18, 30. And this is not an over exaggeration. As a matter of fact, it's probably an underestimate. I had about four or five telemarketing jobs, four or five, uh, you know, landscaping jobs, four or five pizza delivery jobs, and then just random jobs. Worked in a lumber yard, did roofing, did painting. I mean, I'm telling you, 30 jobs. Everybody say 30. But I have been committed since I've been a Christian for 20 years to only two different places, really, for my entire Christian life. See, that's a will that has been transformed. 
See, I don't have a quitting spirit like I used to. The will wasn't me. Uh, I wasn't willing to change myself. God changed my will, and I was able to will what he willed. I was able to do what he wanted. Are you all tracking with me? And then my mind got changed. And I know some of you can relate to this. How many know you all thought different after you got saved? It was like before, maybe you argued with people that were Christians. Like for me, like I argued with my mom about the morality of the Bible. I argued with my mom about these things. But when I became a Christian, I'm not saying that all of it made perfect sense immediately. I'm just saying like the big stuff, the Trinity and God and Jesus, I mean, it just made sense. It's like I could wrap my mind around it enough to say, I believe that. I trust that. I'm going to follow that. Can anybody relate to that? Do you know what we have just shown in this social experiment? is that your mind, will, and emotions were changed. That is your soul. Your soul was changed. Why do I say that? Because sometimes when we look at being born again, we look at man being body, soul, and spirit, and we had all these pictures, and we look at just the spiritual part of man. I'm just spiritual. And just spiritually I was changed. But we don't understand not only spiritually were you changed, you were changed solically. You were changed in your mind, will, and emotions. Can I show that to you very quickly? Turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter, 20, uh, chapter 1, verse 22, that your soul, and what is the soul? It's the unique part of who you are. The Bible says when God created man in his image and he made him as a clay model, he didn't come alive until he breathed his breath in him. And when he breathed his breath in him, the Bible says he became a living soul. So your soul is in your body, is it not? Where is your soul? In your body. When your body dies, does your soul live on? It does live on. If it's not saved, where does it go? If you are saved, where does it go? Okay, so did your soul become a new creation at new birth? See, I believe it did. And some churches don't teach that. Some do. I'm not saying we're the only ones. But the way I've gotten this revy from the Lord, I feel it's so beneficial. And I would want to say, let's get some more than 13 views on that video. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, go back and listen to it and read the notes, especially if you want to grow in your understanding. Because as you have the knowledge of God, so will you live for God. Okay, you guys with me in 1 Peter one twenty two. Okay, two of you are there. Can we all use our Bibles today? Okay, let's, let's try it. Let's, let's all open those Bibles and the phones to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse what? 22. Okay, I'm going to wait for you. Because what if I lied on this karaoke screen? What if, like, after this verse, this said, and give all your money to Pastor Joe? Y'all wouldn't know. So I want y'all to check for yourself. But more importantly than that, I want you to know how to work it so that when I'm not around, you can twerk it. Okay? Because if all you do is know how to work it when I'm around, you ain't going to know how to twerk it. Now, work it and twerk it's a pure and holy thing. Don't let Miley Cyrus ruin that word for you. Some of you are like, yeah, it's been ruined. I will never think of twerking in a good way. See, but we work and twerk the word here in a pure and holy way. And if I ever started a men's ministry, we don't have it because men's ministry, all you know what it is? It's discipleship ministry. But if we ever did, you know what it would be called? Holy Hot Boys. Holy Hot Boys. That would be our men's ministry. Okay. Just where we're at today. It's just a unique day. We haven't even got to the message yet. Now look at the verse. Now that you have purified yourselves, yourselves, your souls. That's what it actually literally means there. Now that you have purified your souls, did I do it myself with some uh, bleach and and a brush? How did I purify myself? By obeying the truth. 
See, when you came to Jesus Christ and obeyed the gospel, you allowed yourself to be purified in your mind, will, and emotions. So do you have an excuse to have a dirty mind today? Do you have an excuse to be in bondage to your will? Say, I just don't have enough willpower to get up and pray in the morning. I just don't have enough willpower. Do you have an excuse for that? Do you have an excuse to say, well, I just feel this way. I just feel this way. This is the emotions. It's just my time of the month. I just feel this way. No, because everything you have in your mind, will, and emotions subjects your body to the will of God. You, your soul, makes the body your slave, not the other way around. Is everybody with me? Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth with a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been what? Born again, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable seed through the living, enduring word of God. See, the purification of your soul, yourself, is connected to being born again. So as some of us might have been taught in other churches that there was just a spiritual rebirth but not a soul you rebirth, that is not true. The who you are was purified and transformed with your spirit when you were born again. Can I hear an amen? Now what do you do? You live holy for God and you crucify the fleshly desires that your body has so you can live for Jesus. Can I hear an amen? Now go to the second part of the introdu- uh, the third part of the introduction, which is what we talked about last week. Everybody say temptation. Do you all see how it's working out together? See, it's knowing who you are, understanding your soul, and understanding temptation. Does everybody get it? I'm just going to say it again. The first lesson was like knowing who you are. Sinners and saints. Well, who am I? Well, I haven't been born again. Okay, I guess I'm a sinner. I need to, I need to be born again. If you've been born again, well, how am I living for Christ right now? Am I following his word or am I living like a mere human? Well, I'm living like a mere human. I'm a worldly Christian, okay? Well, then ask Christ to forgive you so you can be a disciple, okay? That, those were those messages. Now that you understand that, you're ready to understand your soul. You're ready to understand to look deep on in the inside of you and go, why am I the way I am? Well, if you notice there's temptation in these different things, you'll notice that it's not coming from your soul. It's coming from your sinful body. The book of James said this. As a matter of fact, before I go to the temptation thing, let me, well, let's just go here to temptation. Everybody turn with me to James 1.13. Two types of temptation. One is inward and one is outward. James 1.13. How many are ever tempted to sin after being born again, living like a disciple? So listen to the question. How many of you have been born again, you're living like a disciple, but yet you still get tempted? Do you want to know where that temptation comes from? Some people have taught you the temptation comes from the soul. It does not. It comes from two places, either your body, your sinful flesh, or it comes from the devil. Can I show you that? Look at James chapter 1, verse 13. James chapter 1, verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. For each person, when they are tempted, are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So what entices you to sin? Your evil desire, correct? Your evil desire entices you to sin. Do you know where evil desires come from? Turn me to Galatians chapter 5. 
I wish I didn't have to just like hop all over the Bible. We could just read every passage, but then we would be here till three in the morning, okay? And y'all wouldn't come back next week because you'd be like, I got two messages in one, you know? And then I would only be able to have like one sermon a month because it would be technically like four and one. But I want to preach every week, so I got to give it to you in hour chunks. Is that okay? Or do y'all want me to just preach it one full time and then we take a break next week? Because I really feel like I could do that. Like if right now we were just like, Pastor, give it to me, we'll take next Sunday off. I feel like all I would need is about five to six hours. And we would really like settle this. I'm like so serious. Like I was literally about ready to take a vote right now. Take next week off, preach five hours right now. Look at it, Galatians chapter 5. Go right down here to uh, verse 20. I'll go up, please. Go to verse 24. Going down, rather. Look at it. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its what? James says temptation comes from your what? Evil desires. Where do evil desires come from, class? The flesh has its passions and desires. This is where people have misunderstood this subject. They want to say that your flesh encompasses also your soul. But that is not what it said in 2 Peter, or rather 1 Peter. It said your soul was purified, was it not? Does it not say that? It was purified when you were what? Born again. So is my soul pure or dirty, saints? So if I'm having dirty thoughts, where is it coming from? The flesh. With its passions and desires. Now, you may ask yourself, how does your finger have a desire? How does your flesh have a desire? It does so through your brain. And your brain is separate from your mind. Can I explain how your brain and mind are two separate things? When your brain goes dead and your brain dead, do you still have a mind? Yes, because you still have a soul. When your brain dies along with your body and no longer functions as an organ, will you have memories in heaven? But you won't have a brain in heaven. How will you do that? Because your soul will be there. Will people have memories in hell? If they die right now and they're in hell, will they have memories? Is their brain in hell? Will they have emotions in hell? Yes, they will. But will they have physical senses? No. This is the way it's been discussed all throughout Christianity. The Old Testament is called dualism. You are a spiritual creature in a physical body. Now with science, they want to teach you materialism, that all you are is the material body and there is no soul within you. So let's do a big mind experiment right now. Y'all ready to freak yourself out? Where are you in relationship to your eyes right now? Are you behind your eyes? Where are you in relationship to your eyes? How do you use your eyes to see? Where are you in you right now? Now watch this. If I told you this is going to be a mental experiment, blow your mind. If I cut off your arms, would you still be you? So imagine just for the sake of an argument or just for the thought of a a thought experiment, if you were sitting up here and we just like a frog and dissected your arms and legs and you were just a torso, would you still be you? If we then poked out your eyes, God have mercy, cut off your ears, would you still be you? If we cut out your tongue, would you still be you? 
if we could take your brain and put it in a vat in a jar, would you still be you? See, you would stop being you only when there's no more life in you. And life is that mystery that still scientists do not understand. It was the breath that was given to us that made us a living soul. We don't know how it comes or goes, but it is related to a body. Why? Because God made the body to be the ship you sail in through life. Okay? Now, when you are born again, the you inside of this body is what is changed. And this body is still a body of death. It has a brain that produces thoughts because they can poke things in your brain to show where memories are, Alzheimer's, when people lose those memories. But yet, when the brain gets fixed, they can recall those memories. Or if the brain dies, they'll have complete memory. See, either way you look at it, you're attached to a body of death. And this makes your personality. See, just think even a little bit more deeper. Would you still be you if you were born in China 100 years ago? Yes, you may not have the same expression of your personality, but you would still be you. This is the you that Jesus died for so that you might be saved. And the good news is by his resurrection from the dead, it promises us a resurrected body. So you will not just be a soul detached from a body very long. You are only in that place until the resurrection. You're either in heaven waiting for final judgment or you're in hell waiting for final judgment. But at final judgment, judgment both sinner and saint will be united to their body to forever be either in the lake of fire as a sinner or upon the new earth ruling and reigning with Christ can I hear an amen so the body is important to God but right now salvation starts on the inside the precious treasure is in your jar of clay waiting to come out. And that's why the Bible says your body groans. It is waiting to be clothed with a glorified body. You feel like a stranger sometimes, even within your own body, because it has desires contrary to you. And that's where we gave the example of the woman going through the time of the month, or the man having an attitude with not eating food. All of these things are contrary to the person they really are, but they're having to learn to what? To crucify in the past tense those passions and desires. Can I hear Amen. Go back to James 1.13. James 1.13. Ten minutes to preach the message. How did this happen? Uh, Vinny, or rather Rachel, would you come up, please? Praise God. How many had a good time in church today? Amen. Do you know that God is good? He loves you, has a plan for your life. Tell all your friends to come next week. Just tell them we've got a weird pastor. Amen. It's like, listen, this church is really cool, but the pastor is like extremely weird. But you're going to like it, okay, you know. So James 1.13, when you're tempted, don't say that, that God is tempting me. He can't tempt anyone, nor is he tempted by evil. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And where do evil desires come from? Our flesh. And how are we to count it? As crucified. If we don't, that desire will be conceived, give birth to sin. And when that sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. Do I need at this point the devil to sin? No, because my flesh is a body of death. I can sin all by myself. Did Adam and Eve need a devil to sin? Yes. Why? Because their body was what? Did Jesus need the devil to tempt him to be able to sin? Why? Because he was born of a virgin in a perfect body. You understand why the virgin birth was so important? He had to be born sinless. 
All of us have been born sinners since Adam and Eve, but when Adam and Eve were dealing in the, uh, were living in the garden, they would never have tempted themselves. They never would have had an evil desire. Why? Because their body was perfect. The only reason why they could be tempted with a thought other than a godly thought, a divine nature thought, was because the devil came from the outside and inserted it in. Now, since Adam and Eve's fall, we are born with a body of death, and we will be punished if we lived according to that. But we get Jesus when we say, I want to be born again, not live according to my flesh. Amen? But does the devil still tempt us? Yes, it does. So the first kind of temptation is inward temptation. The second one is outward. Everybody say outward. And how does he tempt us? In Genesis, he tempts us to doubt God's word. And with Jesus, he gets us to tempt our, uh, to doubt our identity. He comes as a roaring lion, making lots of noise. And his noise, his, his, his uh, rattling of his uh, serpent's tail or his roar is to get us to think we're not who we are, who God said we are, and that we can't do what God said we can do. He wants us to doubt those things. Everybody say temptation. Now, go to Psalms 23 in closing right here. Okay, here's the closing, which was actually the message. The Lord is my shepherd. I, sh- I, I will, i got to read out this version. I will not uh, lack anything. But how many learned it the old-fashioned way? Well, you know what? Put that bad boy, that mamma jamma in King James, please. Let's drop it like it's hot. Amen? That's why you need that little blog we put out of Metro Praise Saints. Because if you're thinking drop it like it's hot means it's going to be like that right now, you're kind of missing it. And if you think work it and twerk it means like something else, you're missing it, right? But how many understand when I say drop it like it's hot, drop it like it's hot, what does it mean? It means pastor is going to exposit the word of God today. That's what he's going to do. That's what we do around here, fella. Here we go. Yeah, here we go. Psalms 23, let's read together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. How many excited just right there? Come on. I mean, if I preach the introduction and now that makes sense, then we did all right today. Amen. Tell me that makes sense right now. How many of y'all just got your mind blown? You had heard that a hundred times at a funeral, never understood what it meant. Now you understand what it means. Woo! Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you believe that? Hallelujah! We believe Jesus. Let's stand to our feet today, praise God. Would you come back next week so I can preach it? I'm going to preach this next week. We're going to learn again what we just learned today. Praise God. I'm going to say it all over again. Whenever you hear me talk, it's funny, as a staff, abandoned altar workers, would you come, please? As the staff, the friends, if you notice, whenever I talk about Sunday, it's always yesterday. So if I was going to talk about what I preached about last Sunday, I always slip up and I go, you know, yesterday when I was at church. I don't know if anybody ever been with me noticed that. The staff notices all the time. Do you know why for me? 
it's like there's only two days of the week for me, Sunday and then not Sunday and then Sunday and then not Sunday. Because that's just how I think. So like while y'all are working and doing all that, it's like whoop, just like it just squeezes together my calendar. Seriously, like it's just Sunday, day off, and then Sunday again. Because I live for this. And it's because of that that I hope that you come to the church so it makes sense what you guys are doing all throughout the week. And, of course, I have to live a normal life. I don't just go into a little cave all week long. (laughs) But sometimes I do, like in my office, and I smell. My wife has to remind me to take a shower and things like that. But here's the purpose. This Lord Shepherd Psalm, which we're going to talk about next week, says that there is a relationship that we have with God that is supposed to be preeminent in all that we do and that there is a leading in our life that he is doing in us and our job as his sheep is to look for his path to be led by his spirit so it's like tonight what are you going to do be led by his spirit follow the path of righteousness how do we have healthy marriages and good homes finding the path of righteousness does your soul ever need to be refreshed yes where do you bring your soul can you bring your soul to the gas station and get filled up people try to fill their soul with the things of the flesh don't they They try to fill their soul with physical things. But what will refresh your soul? God, Jesus. You ever get scared in life? You ever face hard times? You ever feel like you're alone? You ever feel like during those times that God's really not with you? This psalm is reminding you that through your deepest, darkest valleys, he's actually not far from you. He's actually close to you. How about this? Has anybody ever tried to hurt you in life? Well, some of you go to a job that you don't really like tomorrow where bosses and employees or uh, customers treat you a certain way. Well, some of you have to deal with family members this week that don't really look out for your best interests. Yes. How do we go through those times? We sit back and let God take care of it. And while they're all fighting like pigs in the mud, we sit up here in a higher place and eat a meal. So what happens when you wrestle with a pig? You get dirty and they like it, right? So you leave the battle to the Lord. And I'm not trying to just call everybody in your life a pig. I'm just asking what the Bible says. This is how they act. The world acts muddy and dirty and filthy. The Bible says that that's what they do. But what do you do in the midst of people attacking you? Sit down and enjoy the goodness of God. How about this? How many of you believe you need power in life to do beyond your own strength, things beyond your own strength. My mom, when she was raising me, had supernatural insight into my life as a teenager. You know why? Because she was anointed. How many of you believe you need an anointing? You can apply it to your job. You can apply it in your family. How many of you want your cup to overflow with God's blessings? How many today, if your job is giving out raises this month, if they're saying, hey, we got two opportunities for promotions, how many of you would like to have that promotion? How many of you would like to see your company overflow? Amen? And then lastly, when you're going through life, what do you want your reputation to be? After you leave a room, you've left the room, you've left the high school uh, teenager classroom for the day, you've left your mom's talk in the living room, after you leave a place, what do you want to be said about you? 
I want them to say that was God's love and God's goodness I just experienced. I want following and trailing behind me the reputation of God's goodness and mercy and love. I want the world to see it. Amen. And how many believe there's still a place called heaven? How many believe one day you're going to be there? How many know what Jesus gave you as a security deposit to let you know that's real? What did he say he'll give us in the book of Ephesians as a security deposit to ensure you he's coming back for you and heaven will be your dwelling place? What did he say he gave you? The Holy Spirit is your deposit. Amen. How many believe he's living on the inside of you right now? Amen. Praise God. We're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can we pray together before we go? Let's pray two different kinds of prayers. First of all, if you came here today and you're a worldly Christian, you have not yet changed your way of thinking, even as a Christian, and you still think, well, I came to a church, I got baptized, but this is the way I'm supposed to live, and your life's messed up. If that's you, would you ask God to forgive you for that? And to ask him to show you who he made you to be. Worldly Christians in this church, can we pray for you right now? You start praying on your own. Saints of God who are living right, would you just pray for someone to get that heavy revy right now? That Jesus Christ died to set them free all the way, not some of the way. I pray for worldly Christians to stop living as mere humans, but to live in godliness, sharing in the divine nature of God. Right now, worldly Christian, confess your disobedience to God. Confess you doing it your way. Confess your self-determination. And now deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Come on, worldly Christian, say it out loud. I will follow Jesus. Not my will, but his will be done. Not my way, but his way. I will live for him. He's given me everything that I need. Praise God. Come on, a few more moments. Worldly Christians being freed right now from stinking thinking. It's time to live the life of a disciple. Being obedient not to some things, but to all things God commanded you. Number two, if you're here today as a disciple... And yet you want to be led better. You want to know better. You want to experience better the righteousness of God. Would you pray with me right now and ask the Lord to light the path before you, to teach you in a relationship setting how to hear his voice and be led by his spirit. The Bible says he leads a path before you, and he sets that path right in front of you. Would you right now ask the Lord to be able to discern it? The Bible says that Paul prayed for his church that the eyes of their understanding would be open. Would you pray right now that your eyes would be open so you can see the path of God? You can walk the path of God. If you specifically need that area, uh, uh, the righteous path, illuminated in a certain area, would you lift up that area? Say, Lord, I need your path for my marriage right now, God. I know I'm a disciple. I know you've given me all things for godliness. I just need your wisdom. I need your knowledge in this situation. I need to follow your path. Some of you in dating relationships, would you say that? Lord, lead me in this relationship to the point of marriage. Marriage. Show me how to treat and honor this person. Some of you on your job for your career, Lord, lead me in the path that you have for me, the right path, the right career, the right company, the right positions, Lord. 
Jesus, for your children, Lord, lead me in the right path to be the mother you called me to be, the father you called me to be, the son or daughter, Jesus, you called me to be. Come on, pray, pray, saints. Would you do that? 30 more seconds, pray, no matter who you are, worldly Christian or a disciple needing guidance, would you do that right now? Hallelujah. We come to a God who hears our prayers. He said, my sheep know my voice, and another they will not listen to. Speak to your people. Rachel, would you just kind of sing in the spirit right now? Come on, speak to your people, Jesus. Lead and guide us in the paths of righteousness. Jesus, we need you. 15 more seconds. Make time right now. For some of you, this is a new teaching. Go back home, study it, get the notes, listen to the videos. For others of you, this is a reminder. Pass it on, share it. Don't get discouraged. Don't give up. God is with you. God is with you. God is with you. God is with you. He said, I am with you, even unto the end of the age. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus. Hallelujah. Can I hear an amen? There's a third category. If you've never accepted Jesus, come up today as we dismiss and let us pray for you. Today could be your day. And if you need prayer for anything as we dismiss, would you come to one of these altar workers? They're just humble people like you who just want to lift up your need to God. Let's have one of them close us out in prayer. Sister Soldier, the one, the only. Yeah, it's your turn. You ready to drop it like it's hot? Let's give it up for Sister Lily as she gets ready to pray, a.k.a. Sister Soldier. so much, Lord God. We thank you for your presence right now, Lord God. We thank you that you're with us, Lord God. We thank